Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Inclusive Class Podcast, where it's our goal to explore the promise and practice of inclusive education. Through our interviews and discussions, we hope to provide you with information and resources that will help you support the education of your child or student with special needs. I'm Nicole Eredix, and I'm one of your hosts for the show. I'm a parent, an inclusion teacher, and creator of the online resource, theinclusiveclass.com. And joining me here on the Inclusive Class is my co-host, Terry Morrow. Hi, Terry. Good morning, Nicole, and welcome to all of our listeners. I am Terry Morrow. I'm the author of 50 Ways to Support Your Child's Special Education, and I write about special needs for about.com at specialchildren.about.com. I'd like to mention to anybody out there listening to us live that we're not taking phone calls, but the chat room will be open. If you'd like to stop in and suggest a question, I'll try to work it in if we have time. Um, I wanted to mention this week that uh, a couple of weeks ago we interviewed the authors of a book called The Behavior Code, mm-hmm. and I got a copy of that to write a review for it, and I think I read it in about one day. Uh, it was very easily readable for parents, very interesting, uh, and very practical, well thought out, just a really great book, and obviously not written for parents, but something that I think is worthwhile for parents to read and then pass on with you know passages highlighted and sticky notes <laughs> to yeah, yeah. the educational team. Uh, I have a review of up on my site now. If you go to specialchildren.about.com and look in the left column, you'll see a link to a review. If uh, by the time you hear this, it's gone, you can just uh, Google uh, review the behavior code mm-hmm. and read some about that. I also have an excerpt from the book up about creating alternative lunch and recess uh, groups, which I think is a terrific idea. And you can find that link to from the review as well. So a big thumbs up for that. Uh, what have you been up to this week, Nicole? Well, apparently I can call into toll-free numbers now that I'm back in America, <laughs> but then the toll-free well, number appears to not work. So <laughs> I well, don't know. We have freedom. It all—it doesn't always fitting. work, but <laughs> I, you know what? I think in a way I kind of am ready to go back to school because things will be back into a routine, and I don't have to make phone calls from obscure places and <laughs> for this radio show. It'd be, you know, things will be back to normal. We had visitors and I've been all over the place oh, and I'm just my. ready to settle in back to routine. So there is yeah. Parents parents enjoy the routine too. We talk about yeah. our kids needing routine, but yeah, we miss it as well. Exactly. And you know what, speaking of great books, um I have to mention that our guest today, uh Kathleen Whitbread, she has uh co authored an amazing book for parents and teachers as well. Great. Called um IEP and Inclusion Tips for Parents and Teachers and I discovered it Oh gosh, online a couple of oh probably about a year or so ago myself, and was going through it and it's fantastic and a lot oh, of it's online, uh-huh. and um, and then when I put two and two together that <laughs> we had <laughs> Kathleen, it just I don't know for some reason I didn't make the connection at that point and then I went oh my goodness you know that's that that resource that I was looking at I just thought wow I was so excited so that's another book and I'll um, put that up on our uh, website. Um, or my website this morning, and then maybe Kathleen can talk more about it, too. But anyway, I just wanted to introduce her because she's here with us on the um, other line waiting. Um, We (laughs) have Kathleen. (laughs) I'm here. Hi, Kathleen. (laughs) Hi, good morning. How are you? I'm wonderful. I'm excited to be on your show. You've had so many great guests 
and so much great information. So I'm really happy to be here. Good. Well, you can definitely add to that because I know that uh, you have so many different um, areas of expertise and experience, and I just wanted to do a quick introduction to the audience so they know who they're talking to, and then we can get started with our interview, or who they're listening to, sorry, and then we can get started with our interview. Um, I just wanted to mention that you are currently an Associate Professor of Education at the University of St. Joseph in West Hartford, Connecticut, and you teach graduate and undergraduate um, teachers in a teacher preparation course um, and do special education classes too as well. Is that correct? That's that's correct. Wonderful. And um, in addition to your um, teaching, you are also uh, very passionate about um, teaching reading to children in special populations, such as children with severe disabilities. And as I mentioned earlier, you are co-author of the book, IEP and Inclusion Tips for Parents and Teachers. So um, I, I hope I've covered the um, the highlights, yep, and I know that you're going to that's pretty good. Over <laughs> <laughs> you're going to speak more to uh, reading this morning, which is we had a great conversation about it the other day because um, reading to children with severe disabilities isn't necessarily a common practice in schools, and you're going to explain to us why it should be and the benefits of it. And um, and how that just really creates more of an inclusive community uh, for all children. So uh, let's get started then. Now, Kathleen, Great. can you tell us how you became interested in the topic of reading instruction for students with significant disabilities? Sure. Um, I had been working as an inclusion consultant for well decades, <laughs> I can yeah. say. Um, and my role was typically as a coach, so I worked in schools for, you know, a period of time, maybe up to a year with a teacher. Typically, I would be um, involved with children with more significant disabilities. And so throughout the time that I was working as an inclusion consultant, I had worked in many, many schools in Connecticut where I live. And I started to notice this trend, particularly in the early years, where when it was time for reading, children with disabilities would be pulled out of the regular classroom and brought to the special education classroom. And in the beginning, I was working in the regular classroom, so I wasn't even sure what was happening in the special ed classroom when they were pulled out. But there was one particular situation where I was working with a teacher, a wonderful kindergarten teacher, and she had been trained in a teacher preparation program that was dual certification. So she was a regular ed teacher, a special ed teacher, fabulous kindergarten teacher who also had a specialty in reading instruction. So kind of your perfect kindergarten teacher. And she was about to start her reading um, lesson, and there was a child with Down syndrome who was pulled out. And I thought, you know, this is wrong, um, you know, for if anybody needs good reading instruction, um, it's this child. And what I found out was that the child was being given um, more functional kinds of instruction in the mm -hmm. special education classroom and that reading wasn't even on her radar screen um, right. in, in terms of her program. And so that really started me um, on a path. Uh, I became, um, some people say, obsessed with finding <laughs> out why do we do this, why is this practice happening, and then what can we do to change that. Because right. 
in addition to working with very young children, I also worked with older children, and I knew that one of the um, biggest challenges for kids in inclusive classrooms was the inability to read or, um, you know, having just very fundamental reading skills, and mm-hmm. that cuts kids off from what's happening in the classroom. So mm-hmm. that was the start of my journey. And then speaking of myths, I know that, you know, very often not even really a myth, but just an assumption that reading just can't be taught to certain populations. You know, what um, what are some of those? Can you explain some of those myths and assumptions that people tend to make? Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, I um, I was very interested to know what what people thought about this topic. And in about, I think it was about ni- 2005 or 2006, I was working at the University of Connecticut, and I did a survey of teachers um, about their reading practices. And the first thing I found, which uh, was not surprising but was very sad, was most teachers responded that they did not include children, particularly children with significant disabilities in reading instruction. And the reason that most commonly uh, provided was that uh, that this group of children, you know, that, that they were not capable of learning to read. And mm-hmm. so I think the biggest myth is that there's, um, you know, this huge population of children that people assume are unable to learn to read. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I started to look at the research, I knew from my experience that that wasn't so. But there was a lot of research that um, much more now from the period, you know, between 2005 and and now, much Mm -hmm. more research has come out. But that's really the biggest myth, is that children with, for example, intellectual disabilities, children with Down syndrome, children um, with autism spectrum disorders, are unable to learn to read. And so the people that believe that obviously take parents too. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, parents kind of take their cues from from educators. Mm -hmm. And so there was this, there is this, I I would like to say was, but it's really continued, this huge um, low expectation, this problem of low expectation. And so that leads people to um, teach children to be basic, fundamental, boys and girls room, you know, kinds of reading. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I finally I finally came to the realization when people would say, well, you know, these children <laughs> need it's functional like skills, I would say, you know, what's more functional than reading? You know, mm-hmm. what could be more functional in life? Mm-hmm. And so I think that's one of the biggest myths. And closely following that, once you get people to believe that it is possible for um, children with significant disabilities to learn to read, the second most challenging myth um, is that you need a very specialized program designed mm-hmm. only for yes. children with Down syndrome or only for children with autism spectrum disorders, and that's not true. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the reading process or the way that children acquire reading skills is really very similar, but you may use, for example, different strategies. Certainly you would use different intensity and different frequency, but the process of learning to read is, is the same for, you know, 99% of the children that, that teachers are going to encounter. So right. those, I'd, I'd say, are the two biggest challenges and right. myths. And, very significant too, but uh, clearly you have had experience and research and to to you know prove otherwise. So 
you know, I think it's a wonderful, wonderful what you're doing and encouraging children, you know, of all abilities to to read and to have those skills because, like you said, that's a very important life skill. <laughs> you know, yeah. it, it's Not, so it's yeah. so important, and I think the one of the things that I um, notice particularly with older children who've gone through, you know, maybe uh, children in in our state who would be uh, in their late teens or having, you know, left uh, education, there are many children who never even learned the alphabet. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there's this one story that I just love to tell because it's so typical of the experience of older children. There was a a mom who had contacted me and the team of students that I work with at St. Joseph's. And she said, you know, my daughter's 21. She never learned to read. She doesn't even know the alphabet. Is it too late? And I said, no, it's not. I had, you know, I had taught kids to read who were older. And so, um, you know, there was a teacher in her area. I worked with this reading teacher. And within a year, the student was reading at, you know, maybe a second or third grade level. And mm-hmm. then she just took off from there. And the mother told, you know, called me and told me this great story. She said that they were in the doctor's office, and this was probably maybe a year into her daughter's reading instruction, and they were sitting in the waiting room, and the mother, who's a big cell phone user, um, her cell phone rang, and she went to answer the phone, and her daughter, like, elbowed her and pointed to the sign, and she said, "Um, Mom, if you see the sign up there, no cell phones allowed. <laughs> and so, you know, here was this, the mother, you know, almost dropped her phone on the floor because here was her child not just reading, you know, books at home, but reading uh-huh. in her environment and being able to tell her mother what the sign said. So I love to hear those kinds of stories. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. because it opens doors not just to being, you know, behaving properly in the doctor's office, but, you know, now children can go and choose things in the grocery store. They can read signs as they're, um, you know, traveling. Mm-hmm. They can read store signs, you know, read the tag on, on clothing. It's just so many little things that yeah. we take for granted. Texting. You know, mm-hmm. how, do, how do teenagers and young people <laughs> communicate with each other? They text yeah. in this horrible yeah. spelling. You know, if you, know, if you no. don't know anything about, you know, phonics, you cannot text your friends. And it right. cuts out of that loop. So um, it, it's just, just huge. And I think that most of us who read don't realize as we go through our day how hampered we would be if yeah. we couldn't read. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah. It, you know, once you sort of um, get into it, it, it does become very compelling because you see that, that learning to read changes kids' lives. And mm-hmm. so I, I always tell parents it's never too late. One of my um, teachers um, in the teacher preparation program at, at um, our university is teaching a woman with Down syndrome who is 40 to read. Wow. And wow. it was a goal for this woman. She wanted it so much, and she's working so hard. And, of course, she's learning to read. Yeah. Uh, so it's exciting. It's a very exciting um part of education, and I think if we can just get the word out to teachers and administrators that mm-hmm. we need to raise the bar um, yeah, and definitely. we need to train our teachers, that we could we could really be catching this much earlier, which is, yeah. which is something I'm very interested in doing. What advice would you offer to teachers uh, to ensure that all students receive appropriate reading instruction? 
Well, um, you know, it's very difficult. Depending on where a teacher is trained, you mm-hmm. could go through, I'll use myself in it as an example. I was trained in my um, undergraduate and master's program in Connecticut, and our certification goes from kindergarten through um, through grade 12. So we're trained to work with children of all abilities, all disabilities, all ages. And mm-hmm. I received almost virtually no instruction on how to teach reading. And even in my doctoral program, I had to tailor uh, independent study. And then after I got my doctoral degree, I had to go back to school, which I did for five years. <laughs> I just completed a program to, um, to be a reading instructor. So I think the first thing for teachers is that if they're not trained to teach reading, they're embarrassed or reluctant to admit that. Uh, mm-hmm. Of course, we want parents to be confident in us and in our ability. We want our administrators to be confident. But many, many teachers, it's only been recently in our state and in the United States where we're teaching special education teachers about reading instruction. Mm-hmm. And so I would say you don't have to, you know, sit at a meeting with a parent and say, I know nothing <laughs> about reading. But, <laughs> you know, obviously that's not the way to go. Right, but somehow right. you you have to be clear with, um, at some point in some way, you have to make it known that you need more training. Because yeah. the worst thing is for someone who does not know how to teach reading, which is a very, very complex area, mm-hmm. um, I think it was Louisa Motes who said, teaching reading really is rocket science. Mm. And I'm sad to say that it felt that way for me when I was going through my training. It's very complicated. (laughs) So, you know, it's it's kind of humbling uh, if Uh you've been a teacher as I was for 30 years and you didn't know the, you know, the vocabulary, graphemes, phonemes, you know, all of those, those things. And so the English language is not helpful be. also. <laughs> oh, my goodness. No. I know when I was trying to teach Unless my daughter who had you... quite a bit of trouble reading, it's like I had never realized how incredibly illogical it is. Yeah. Yes, it's so true. And, you know, <laughs> what they teach you in these programs when you're learning to teach reading is all about how our language, how the English language developed and the history uh-huh. of our language and the linguistic part of language, and that helps tremendously. And then yeah. there are all of the ways that you impart that information to children. Mm-hmm. It's it's quite complex. So what I tell teachers is if you're not trained, either find a way to be trained, but or better yet, you know, in the short run, find someone, a colleague in your school who is a reading specialist. And that, mm-hmm. I think, is the perfect recipe is mm-hmm. a regular education teacher, the classroom teacher who collaborates with the special education teacher or a reading specialist, a reading teacher. And so you, mm-hmm. you team up with people who know how to do this, and together you develop the teaching plan for the child and how to include that in the classroom. And that seems to work beautifully. Mm-hmm. Um, there, I really haven't run into many schools where there isn't a reading specialist. Now, once you get into middle and high school, the upper grades, it's less likely that you would have someone who specializes in early literacy, so you may have to be a little creative. 
um, administrators in Connecticut have been wonderful when I've suggested that they pull someone, a teacher from the early, you know, early grades to consult mm-hmm. to the upper grade teachers. You know, there are ways around this because there are people in your district who know reading instruction, mm-hmm. and you don't have to be everybody. You know, you, yeah. you just have to, have to know how to collaborate with other people. But and do the, so do that, the uh, reading specialists feel any intimidation about working with kids with special needs, or do they feel like, no, well, I'm not do. trained for that? Mm-hmm. I wasn't trained to work with those children. That's what they say. And you know, a lot of people say, and they, it sounds unkind. And I always say to parents, try to understand what's underneath it. A lot of people yeah. say, if I wanted to work with special education children, I would have become a special education teacher. You know, what I find is that what's underneath that statement is more mm-hmm. of a fear, or yeah. um, you know, just feeling uncomfortable because you're not trained, but. Actually, in the past three or four years, I find that people are initially reluctant, mm-hmm. and then they they get very excited when they mm-hmm. see that what they know can change kids' lives like this. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have just a, a group of teachers that I've worked with in my state and in other states who started off saying, I have no clue, I've never worked with a child with Down syndrome, and within, you know, a month or two, they're calling me on the phone with all of their successes and, you know, their questions, too. Yeah. Um, you know, child's under the table and won't come out. Do you have any ideas? <laughs> <laughs> you know, your typical special education um, yeah. challenge. And so, yes, there is reluctance, but I think that people who love what they do and people who love to teach, they get over that. And, mm-hmm. and you know, as long, I always say to people, I've done this hundreds of times. I can tell you that you can do this. And once mm-hmm. you say that, then people are like, oh, okay. <laughs> if you say so, then I can. <laughs> um, what can parents do? What advice would you give uh, to parents for advocating for reading instruction for their children? Well, you know, unfortunately, um, as with many things, it is often the parent who is the one driving this. Yeah. Um, you know, many parents want reading instruction for their children, and they bring it up at their meeting with their school team, mm-hmm. and they're met with, you know, this what, this wall, really. Yeah. And it's not easy often to get this. And I, you know, many parents want, we all want good relationships with the people we work with. Mm-hmm. And yet with this topic, I think that sometimes people have to be, you know, find that little part of yourself that, you know, he's a little pushy and just keep pushing it because otherwise parents become discouraged because people say, you know, no, this isn't possible. Mm -hmm. So I tell parents to educate themselves, you know, Mm -hmm. and and there's so many things in special education. I have a child with a disability myself, so I know what it's like. It's like getting a college degree in special (laughs) education, you know, and then doing your regular job. Right. But in reading... You know, if you educate yourself as a parent, you can you can bring that information to the team. I have a website I, I can give you the address that has two pages of links and research, and parents can just copy that out, bring it to their meeting, and say, you know, look at all these people who have researched this topic. Look at what we know now. I want this to, you know, be put into place for my mm-hmm. child. And so I think just having that little bit of research-based information kind of gets your foot into the door and then 
My second piece of advice is if your school appears to truly not have someone who knows how to teach reading well, um, then I would, you know, try to work with your school to get a consultant, and they're not for the, you know, forever, but for sure mm-hmm. period of time to try to, you know, find who is the best person to do this, how can we make this happen. So I guess just, you know, the general advice for parents of kids with disabilities, educate yourself and mm-hmm. bring information to your school and put, you know, push it. Yeah, that bringing the research is a really good step because I think a lot of the times you meet the, oh, mom, you're in denial or, you know, these kids really can't do this. And really with this population, we like to do this. And when you fight for it, they're like, oh, she hasn't come to terms yet with her child's disability. So if you can bring the research and say, here's what people are doing. (laughs) Right. Right. So if, if you can take it out of your emotional thing and say, here's what other professionals are saying and doing. Yeah. That that gets harder for them to argue with. Yeah. Exactly. And one of the things that I've done in is to put um up on my blog real stories with pictures of real children with mm-hmm. significant disabilities with their story. And that yeah. way when parent, when you know when teachers say, Oh, children with Down syndrome you know, can't learn to read until they're nine then you know you say, <laughs> Oh but look here are all these yeah. children who are five on this website of luxury. You know that I think is helpful, and it's not. Yeah. You know, it's not an ugly way to do it. It's kind of right. what I'm hearing. <laughs> you know, so I, yeah, I think that's a great strategy. Uh, what projects are you working on now in the area of reading instruction? Mm-hmm. Well, right now I'm I'm very very committed to early intervention. So I have a team of students that I work with at um, the University of St. Joseph. We have a grant to provide free early literacy screenings for children with intellectual disabilities. We hope to expand that to children with other disabilities. And we hold what we call reading celebration days with Parents can bring their young children. Right now it's children up to age seven. And we screen the child, find out where they are, and give the parents some, um, you know, just a one-page, here's where your child is. This would be the next step for your child's um, learning and reading instruction. It's something they can bring to their school. And we educate parents during the day. You know, children get to play fun games, but we also are giving parents information about their child's level of reading instruction. Mm -hmm and um, free resources, so they're armed with what they need to move forward. And so we have kids who are, you know, as young as four. I had one four-year-old who I screened, and one of the questions was, um, can you point to the B? And she looked up at me and she said, Yes, I can point to the B. I can yeah. also say the alphabet. I can sing the alphabet. Would you like to look right <laughs> yeah. you know, So we find that it's, it's moved along and that yeah, there right. are parents who, yeah, it was it was pretty exciting, and I had to go through my bag and get my next screening instrument for older children. <laughs> but, you know, it, it, it shows me that, that we're moving. We're moving forward. Uh, yeah. You know, that child's parent had taught her. And, you know, she was entering kindergarten right where every other kindergarten student was, and that's exciting to see. Yeah, definitely. Um, Can you tell our listeners where they can find your book, and are there any other resources that would be helpful? Sure. Um, my our, our book is is pretty uh, easy to find. It's on Amazon.com. There are I don't know if my co-author would love me saying this, but there are free copies available if you go through a parent um, support group. And um, I'm also going to give my 
my website. So if people cannot find a copy of the book, they can email me. I'd be happy to link them up. Because if you're connected to a parent group, you can get a free. It's not a, a, a hold-in-your-hands book. It's an online book. But uh-huh. Amazon.com does carry the book. And you can just Google it um, also. And, and what is your website? website which I'm, is, I'm really excited about it. It's openbooks.com. So it's all, you know, no no periods, openbooksopendoors.com. And that's uh, a website that focuses on reading and children with significant disabilities. And cool. that information, they can reach me very easily through there. Okay. And I'm happy for people to contact me. Well, that's great. That's a great resource. That's helpful um, for parents to know. Uh, there's our school bell. It says that we have come to the end of our time here together today. Uh, obviously, reading is a subject we could talk about endlessly, but um, for now, let me just say thank you for being our guest today and thank our listeners for tuning to our program this morning. Uh, you can find out more about Kathleen on her website. She mentioned open book, uh, openbooksopendoors.com, and also you have a website at uh, www.kathleenwhitbread.com. That's K A T H L E E N W H I T B R E A D. Okay, please join us again next Friday at 9 a.m. on the Inclusive Class Podcast when we will have Aaron Hall, the Director of Programs for the National Inclusion Project, which is a national organization created to promote inclusive communities. Uh, in the meantime, you can also follow us on Twitter, where Nicole tweets under the name inclusive underscore class, and I am at Mamatude, that's M-A-M-A-T-U-D-E. You can also find archives to our past shows on my blog at www.mamatude.blogspot.com. It was up to date until just now, and now I'm behind again. Uh, also, our show is now on Stitcher. Listen to us on your iPhone, Android phone, Kindle Fire, and other devices with Stitcher. You can find it in your app store or at stitcher.com. Uh, goodbye, everybody, and have a great week. Goodbye. Thank you. Thank you so much.